Hey everyone, if you are jumping in late, if you missed that intro, my name's J.D. Mangrum. I get to be the pastor of Christ Church Charlestown. So grateful you're here today. Today we're in week three of our series called uh, Who's My Neighbor? It's been looking at Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan. We're trying to see how to be a good neighbor, the best neighbors we can, in the city, uh, even in the middle of a pandemic and everything else kind of swirling around in our culture as we follow Jesus. There's been three parts to the series. Uh, each Sunday at 10 on Facebook Live, we've been having a message from Luke chapter 10 on the parable of the Good Samaritan. Then on Tuesdays, we've been having a, a, a conversation around the book called The Art of Neighboring, which you only have to read the book. There's little 10 minute video segments in Right Now Media, which is a free resource if you've never gotten it. Let me know, we'd like to, to get you access to that. It's like the Netflix of discipleship. And then the third part's been, we mailed so many of you a little notebook and asked you to list as many of your neighbors as you can. You can't love people you don't know. So what I would love for you to do actually this week is by Wednesday, if you would, uh, continue to write down people in the notebook, people that you know uh, who live in Charlestown. Even if you don't live in Charlestown, maybe people in your neighborhood or community, people in our church, people you might happen to know who live in Charlestown, and, uh, and send that to us by text or email uh, by Wednesday if you wouldn't mind. So far we've talked about, in the first week, we talked about how God has one great command, the command of love, and that command actually has three different applications, love God, love neighbor, love self, and, and Jesus said, he, may, he sort of uh, emphasize that command in the in the context of a conversation and he said to the guy who is trying to justify himself with his ability to love Jesus said yeah man love God love neighbor love self perfectly and do it again and again and again which none of us can do right like none of us perfectly does that all the time and so God thankfully made a way for us by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross and rise from the dead so that if we turn from our sins and turn to him we can have forgiveness and relationship with God and the peace uh, with God that, that is offered to us in Christ. Then last week we talked about three philosophies of life. You remember we talked about how we can beat people up or we can pass people up or we can lift people up. And we, and we talked about how just because something isn't your fault doesn't mean it's not your responsibility. And it was a call to pursue biblical justice. Now today we're going to talk about compassion and moving toward one another in love, moving toward people in love. Now, honestly, compassion is one of those culturally kind of hijacked words that probably used to mean a lot, but now it's got so embedded into the political, uh, political culture and our ideology that it's often a lot of times like just a cultural talking point or it's good intention with very little action. The word comes from two Latin words. It comes from the word calm, which means with, and it comes from the word passion, which doesn't mean enthusiasm and excitement, but passion means to suffer with or to suffer alongside, so, uh, or to suffer. So when we hear the word compassion, we mean, it means to suffer with, to suffer alongside. Uh, it's not referring to our emotions. It's referring to compassion as coming alongside someone and suffer with them. I think about big stories of compassion and action really easily, but today I want to keep it simple. Like I feel like God just wants us to, as we talk about compassion, to kind of keep it local and keep it really current. I've seen more compassion in you, Christ Church Charlestown during COVID than I ever could have imagined. I've seen you take one another to the grocery stores and um, I've seen you take one another out on errands. I've seen you buy toilet paper and hand sanitizer and paper towels and cleaning products for others on your own dime often. 
when you came across it. I've seen you buy meals and have them delivered to one another. I've seen you encourage one another Sunday after Sunday on Facebook Live. Probably right now, even as I'm talking, some of you are encouraging one another in the comments and chat, and I think that's so great. I've seen you find a florist and send flowers to moms across the neighborhood at Mother's Day. I've seen you come up with an idea to uh, order and deliver cookies to dads in our church and community for Father's Day. I've seen you deliver Easter eggs at Easter to so families who are bummed about the egg hunt being canceled would have in-home egg hunts. I've seen you give more generously and more consistently than ever before. I've seen you text, call, even offer to do whatever it takes to make sure that one another are okay when someone was struggling with depression or anxiety during this season. I've seen uh, tons of acts of compassion, and, and there's probably some I'm even missing. Like, I would love it if you would email us or text us and just let us know uh, about where you've been seen or experienced or even shown compassion in our church or community during this time. In a time of social distancing, you haven't been emotionally distant when you could have. You've been creative and loving and God-honoring. So let's look at the story of a man in a dire situation and see the example of a neighbor who acted with compassion. If you've got a Bible, turn to Luke 10. Now, remember, Jesus is in the, in the Galilee, which is northern Israel, and is soon to head to Judea, which is in southern Israel, to be arrested, crucified, and killed, and resurrected. And between the two regions, we've shown it every week on the map, is the area of Samaria. Now that's a group of people who are hated by Jews, the Samaritans. The Jews hated the Samaritans. They wouldn't consider them neighbors. They didn't think they had to love them. They just like the biggest, the biggest insult in their mind that the 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 sort of religious bad guys of the day ever paid Jesus was one time they even called him a Samaritan. It was almost like a swear word in their culture. A Samaritan was a half Jewish, half pagan ethnic group who saw Jews who the Jews saw as religiously and morally and racially compromised. As I shared each Sunday, if you are modernizing this parable, you might call it the parable of the neighbor with the offensive yard sign or the parable of the uh, person with the obnoxious bumper stickers. Though Jesus often ministered to Samaritans and went to Samaria, uh, good Jews didn't want any, anything to do with Samaritans and they went way out of their way, literally out of their way across the Jordan and up into the Transjordan region to get into the Galilee when they were making a trip from Jerusalem up to northern Israel. Much like we avoid people with the awkward yard signs or obnoxious bumper stickers. Be honest, how many of you have pulled into a parking lot sometimes and seen the, 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 the bumper stickers with the ideology you might not agree with and you've even parked a little further away perhaps so that you wouldn't have to be there? You need to know that for some Jews, uh, looking pure and holy was everything. So if you couldn't be holy, you at least wanted to look and appear holy, act holy. Appearing holy in many ways had replaced doing godly things like practicing justice or showing mercy or being a good neighbor um, for the people who were at the top of what we called the moral religious pyramid scheme. So as we start, know that Jesus is telling the story. The hearers are sizing up the characters in the story even more than we do today with different levels of admiration or disdain than we would have. Ultimately, many of the people in Jesus' audience on this day were asking, who is my neighbor? And answering, oh, it's the good, the clean, the moral, the upstanding Jewish men. And for the most part, everyone else could just be ignored in their minds. 
Jesus is less interested in fixating on who qualifies as a neighbor and wants to talk about what it looks like to love as God does. So let's jump into the, the passage. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who's my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and he saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And then this phrase in verse 34, he went to him. Let's just stop there today, adding just that one little phrase from what we read and left off with last week. Let's shift all together today from the background, just get buried in the, in the story itself if you don't mind. A gang of robbers jumped out to beat up a guy, stripped him, and left him naked. Uh, can't imagine how humiliating that would be, even if I think about it. They beat him to the edge of death and they left him to die. Ironically, we assume they, I've always assumed, we assume they robbed this guy of money, but the parable doesn't even give the impression that the guy had anything other than the clothes on his back that they stole. They could have beaten this man to an inch, uh, to within an inch of his life uh, for absolutely nothing. As he lay there dying, a priest, a descendant from the right family, in the right career, with the right morals, all clean and pure, comes down the road and he sees him from afar. He crosses the road to avoid him, and then he keeps going. A short time later, while the man's still laying there dying, still naked, a Levite, another descendant from the right family and the right career, with all the right morals, all clean and pure, a temple worker alongside the priest comes down the road, sees him from afar, and crosses the road to avoid him and keeps going. Then the Samaritan comes. Remember, like when Jesus' audience hears this, they immediately think, well, now here's the bad guy. It says he crosses the road also when he saw him. The story tells us the Samaritan approaches him, saw him, and had compassion. And then Jesus adds, and he went to him. Three people crossed the road that day. Two crossed the road to avoid, to social distance for the sake of cleanliness, safety, health and cultural norms for social, for social distancing while one crossed the road in compassion to approach with disregard for cleanliness, safety, health, cultural norms for social distancing. Compassion. Uh, it's a, it really is a beautiful word. Like just to say it is a beautiful word, compassion. When I say compassion for you, who or what comes to mind? If you're, in the, if you're in the comments, if you're leaving comments, when we say compassion, who, does someone come to your mind? Feel free to share it in the comments. In the Gospels, the, the word compassion is similar to the word pity. It's like feeling pity, but it's not this sort of, oh man, that's too bad. It's not like seeing... Uh, you know, some like seeing pets, see, hearing Sarah McLaughlin sing while we see pets needing adoption, or it's not seeing somebody down by the roadside with a, a flat tire, but you're in a hurry and thinking, boy, that's too bad. It's, it's way more than that. 
Compassion is seeing brokenness in the world and feeling gut level pity. Big motorcycle just went by my house. Gut level pity, being brought to the point of being sick to the stomach and knowing you have to do something. We see biblical gut-wrenching compassion in women and men in scripture like Ruth toward her mother-in-law Naomi, like Queen Esther who risked her life to save the endangered Jewish people. Uh, Joseph, who had been betrayed by his brothers into slavery in the book of Genesis, and yet they were now starving, and he showed compassion toward his brothers. A father toward his demon-possessed child, asking Jesus for mercy, and more. The best biblical example of compassion is obviously Jesus. The gospel writers speak of Jesus' compassion. He would see the crowds, and they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he would feel compassion in his gut. He felt compassion for them. Uh, because they were harassed. He felt compassion, gut-level conviction that something had to be done. Not something ought to be done, not something should be done, but something had to be done. And it was compassion that often led Jesus to heal. If you go read the scriptures in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you see that word compassion with Jesus, it's usually compassion that compels him to heal. It's compassion that took him to the cross. It's, um, it's not just feeling sorry or trying to set an example. It's compassion, knowing that we couldn't save ourselves. Envision Jesus hanging on the cross, grimacing and writhing and screaming in pain, tears running down his face, not just because of the pain and shame, but because he understands that only in his death can the gap between God and man be bridged. It's compassion that is holding him on that Roman cross. Now the Samaritan saw the man, says he had compassion. Jesus says he had compassion. It's easy to give money to, or to serve for a cause and, and never really even see it or feel it or have biblical compassion, honestly. It's easy to be so protective or so sheltered or so busy that we never feel compassion. Before biblical justice can fully occur, we ought to see something and we ought to feel compassion deep down in our gut. Before we feel compassion, we have to see a situation. Seeing, honestly, may require us to slow down, observe, listen, even seeing what's below the surface that remains unsaid or undone and out of the public eye. Sometimes we can't even feel deep gut biblical compassion until we slow down, and that's the beauty of what COVID-19 season has done to us, it's allowed us to slow down and hopefully begin to see people, neighbors we haven't seen, see situations we haven't seen. Often, if we are looking, God will allow us to see the unseen for watching and listening. Seeing will produce compassion, showing us empathy or sympathy. Maybe it'll be sympathy. Sympathy is feeling compassion, sorrow, or pity for the hardships that another person encounters. It's not my story, it's not my struggle, but I feel that gut level compassion for someone. Maybe it'll be empathy, putting yourself in the shoes of another person, feeling with someone. Maybe their struggle is similar to a struggle that you've had, not the same. No, no, people, no two people's experience is ever exactly the same, but they're similar and we can feel with someone. Either way, you feel it deep in your gut, compelling action. See first. Feel second, act third. See first, feel compassion second, 
move toward the person like the Samaritan, move toward the person or situation third. What moves you internally to compassion and what moves you externally due to compassion? Biblical compassion prompts biblical neighboring and then biblical justice. Biblical compassion crosses the road toward, never away from. When you see something broken, you move toward it. Whatever it is or whoever uh, it is, you are doing the work of the Good Samaritan, the work of the gospel. I love the stories of Elizabeth Elliot. I, I mention her almost every week, quote her almost every week. I love Dietrich Bonhoeffer, another one I quote almost uh, or mention almost every week. I love Rosa Parks, the compassion that she felt, not just tiredness when she refused to go to the back of that bus, but the compassion she felt for the people of Montgomery, Alabama. I even read this week a story about a guy named Bill Wallace of China, the compassion that he felt for the people of China that led to his martyrdom in the 1950s. Local compassion though. I want to take a, I want to take a pause here for just a second. I'd like to uh, just share some of a conversation I had the other day with Carson Tager about how he and his family have shown compassion during COVID-19, what they're doing to get to know their local neighbors in very real ways and what they hope and believe will be the, the outcome, the fruit of that compassion and neighbor love. I guess in the beginning of the pandemic, it wasn't something that was on my mind, you know, that this was going to be happening. Um, my wife and I had had a pretty tough winter. My wife had been diagnosed with breast cancer and thank God she's, you know, cancer free now. But so we had just come off of that as the pandemic started and we were just like starting to feel our, ourselves again. So I probably wasn't thinking about what was coming and how lonely we were all going to be until we got into it a few weeks and we started looking at each other and saying, wow, this is, this is real and this is not going to be ending anytime soon. So I, I think in the beginning we may not have been uh, that great at seeing what other people were going through because, we, you know, again, we were so worried about what was going on in our lives. Um, I think it took a little while and then once we realized that, you know, we were okay, then we started to go, hey, well, you know, what about some of the people in our lives that, that don't have what we have and how can we, you know, reach out to them? What can we do as, as a family? What can we do as a church? You know, all those things definitely came to our mind. Um, well, I'll go back to my mother-in-law. Um, we've tried to make her, you know, just as comfortable as possible. It's been really tough on her. And I think anybody that lives alone going through the pandemic, it's got to be really, really tough because, like, I can come home and, I have that social interaction with my wife and my son, but you know my mother-in-law goes home and she doesn't. Uh, Kennedy, my coworker, she goes home alone, you know, just to the dog. Um, so I think just trying to be around for those people. There have been a couple of times where, you know, uh, my wife and I just called Kennedy and said, "Hey, we're coming to your house unannounced," and she wasn't there. <laughs> so. You know, we couldn't actually see her, and we actually did that a couple of times. But I think she appreciated the gesture. We have some new neighbors that just moved in, and uh, my wife suggested making cookies, and uh, that was a first, I think, for us. And uh, they seemed to appreciate it. They seemed to like it. We got a thank you card, uh, and of course, I took all the credit. <laughs> One of the things that we have found during the pandemic that has become very popular is what we call a garage BQ. At some point, my wife and I bought some chairs and we bought 
little tables and we put a fridge in the garage and a speaker and sometimes we'll throw a TV in the garage and we have these garage BQs and it has helped us to really get to know our neighbors um, because that's it's such a fantastic way just kind of like being out in front of the house right and people are coming by especially we live kind of on a busy corner and so it's it is a way that we've gotten to know our neighbors and also be socially distant considering what's going on so I think one of the things every everybody needs to realize with uh, with within our church is that the uh, the social aspect of it is so important and that while the social aspect technically has changed you know that yeah we're it's over a camera you know or it's over zoom chats or, or whatever but uh, you know it, and you have you've spoken of this that it's it's not that building that we were meeting in it is the people and I hope that people would continue to engage. You know, I feel like we've lost a few people along the way because it's difficult, it's hard um, to, to do it digitally and you may not feel as connected, but I almost feel more connected now than when this all started. I, the, I've gotten to know people in the church, even in our church, even better. They've become closer friends of mine. I've leaned on them more. They've leaned on me more, so I think it's it's, made those of us who have kind of leaned into what's happening right now with the church, it's made us even stronger. I remember at the, uh, at the beginning of pandemic in mid-March, the boys had finished their um, online learning for the day and we went down to the, the football field and to the track and, they, and we were like just letting the boys ride their bikes around the track and uh, everybody was just kind of adjusting to quarantine life right and people were looking each other in the eye and saying hey and stay healthy and asking how we were doing i really believed in march that six feet of distance the byproduct of that new term social distancing was going to bring us together that was before the stats of how many people in our state would get sick and even how many in our state would end up passing away with covid so sadly that was before mask wearing became a political issue. That was before, way back in the good old days of coronavirus, when all we had was our little makeshift masks, our desire to flatten the curve, and I hope that we would all get back to work or school within a few weeks after some caution and care. I chuckle at our naivete. March, you were a simpler time. Who knew the virus would take the toll that it did? Who knew we would get the mixed messaging that we have at different times from different levels of government? Who knew the isolation and uncertainty could provoke the fear it did? The phrase social distancing was coined so we could attempt to remain healthy by keeping healthy spaces between one another while we still remain social. But you know what? Fear does funny things to us. I believe our desire to stay healthy got replaced with a fear of sickness or a fear of having a sickness unknowingly and then unintentionally infecting or endangering grandma or grandpa or the immunocompromised relative or friend. Those two, and I just want to pass to you, pass to you for a second, those two things, the desire to stay healthy and the fear of getting sick, they're not the same thing. It wasn't the physical distance though, that ever expanding space between us that started at six feet, as much as the emotional isolation. We weren't out and about as much and we became Zoom weary. I felt it too, like how many of you in the chat, how many of you, if you never jump on another Zoom, you would be just fine. I believe it started with fear. Fear was the culprit and we were the victims. Discretion, good. Wisdom, good. 
Love for neighbor, good, obviously. Inhaling and exhaling fear, though, for the Christ followers is foreign and toxic as a human trying to breathe on Jupiter. Fear is not the atmosphere God made us to breathe in. This is true in all areas of life and faith, not just with COVID-19. As numbers came down and earlier sunsets approach, living in a pre-vaccine world where we find ourselves right now, how can we see one another again? How can we feel compassion? And how can we move toward our neighbors in love uh, and even toward one another, Christchurch Charlestown? Christchurch family and friends, it will start with one strategic move. I want to tell you what it is. Local compassion dictates that we must distance but return to being social. If there's a big idea today, here it is right here. Social distance and social isolation are not the same thing. Social distance and social isolation are not the same thing. We can social distance and wear masks as acts of love, but we must interact and uh, and we will find that interacting is an act of love as well. Six feet isn't that far. far. Do you remember being back in PE as a kid, right before you did the jumping jacks, the PE teacher would tell us, stretch out arm length, uh, arms length apart. If an adult stretches out from another adult, that should be about six feet. And if we're that distance from one another, and we're generally healthy, and especially if we wear a mask, we keep that distance, we should be good if we're, if we're healthy, generally. We should be good. We need to interact. How do we do it? How do we interact with one another? How do we do it uh, safely and in a way that honors God and honors one another? Here's a couple of practical ways. With church family, greet one another with a holy elbow bump. Like, this is great. Like, if you want to stretch it way out, that's great. If you want to bring it in, that's great. Come to those meetups. We have one more uh, next week. Beginning September 13th, we'll begin to weekly worship again. It'll be down at the Little League Fields on Sundays at 10. Come if you're generally healthy and comfortable. I want you to come. Come a little early. Stay a little later and interact with one another. Spend time on one another's sidewalks, back patios, or in the garage, wherever else. Meet up at the track or the playground or the pool. Exercise together and talk. Pray for one another out loud. This is going to be a little bit more of a bigger ask, but pray for one another out loud. Look each other in the eye and ask, how are you doing? How are you really doing? Tell one another, I've missed you and I need you. So many times you guys, so many of you will text me during the week or text Natalie and say, hey, how's so-and-so doing? I hadn't heard from this person. Reach out to that person. If, if, if God has put them on your heart, be bold and reach out to them and love. Second, I want to encourage you to interact digitally at church wherever you can. Very simply, simple ask. We just have a couple more weeks of Facebook Live and I'm going to hit pause for the most part on Facebook Live for a little bit and I'm sure once we get into the winter months we'll have to restart it up as, as an act of safety. But even maybe next week or maybe even right now, have every adult member of your household grab your phone or your tablet or your computer and be on Facebook Live during church. I know husbands are watching with wives and vice versa, but it's good to see both of your names in the chat. I encourage you both to get online. Speak up in love for one another. Someone may just need to see you and hear you and tell you that they love you and they miss you or hear you say the same to them. Maybe even right now in the comments, write to someone and say, so-and-so, I've missed you. I've missed you, so-and-so, if you see that they're in here. 
Thank a brother or sister in our church that of all the places God could have put you in all the times in human history, in love, in a pandemic, he put us together. And, he, and that we are better because we're friends and because we're faith family together. You're part of the body. It's like a limb, a couple of organs, maybe an eye or ear out there somewhere, but not currently connected with the body. And that isn't good. Now, real quickly, don't hear what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is you shouldn't vacation. I'm not saying you shouldn't enjoy your summer. I'm not saying you should, you should uh, not stay inside if you don't feel well or legitimately at risk. I want you rested and refreshed and at peace. But as your pastor, as serious as I can possibly be, I don't want you off the grid. Off the grid sheep are easy prey. And as summer has gone on and coronavirus has gone on, it becomes easier and easier to kind of check out. We are the body of Christ and we need one another and we're not made to just go it alone. I want you to interact with your actual neighbors where you can. In the house is not the best idea for right now for everyone's health, uh, statistically speaking, based on the science. But in the yard or on the sidewalks, a good thing. In the absence of that, you can also interact digitally with actual neighbors. Maybe it'll be across phone calls or FaceTime or Zoom or house party. We've had Zoom date nights and with other couples, game nights, FaceTime with family and friends. Loads of people, some of, some of you know, uh, who may live right next door, fearful of being out, but they are isolated and lonely. Look around see them, move toward them in compassion. Do gorilla neighboring if you have to. Leave an old-fashioned note on the door or mail a note. But this, you know, it's so odd getting mail anymore. But there is something that's so charming and when you get a letter with a stamp and the return address, there's something that's so powerful and full of love in that. Send a gift card, send an Uber, send Uber Eats. We've sent and received during uh, the last six months donuts, coffee, uh, food from local restaurants, and more. Bake something and take it over. And again, strategically sit on the stoop or patio or on the sidewalk and speak to neighbors passing by. Nat and I have been doing this in the morning for coffee and we've had an amazing time. We've just been opening our garage and pulling out our sort of lawn chairs and sitting there and drinking our coffee and speaking to neighbors. And we've talked with Sophia and Ari and Kim and Caroline and Michelle and Chapa and Joey and Mike and Taylor and Carrie and others and we've even met some really nice dogs. We can move toward people in compassion without stepping inside six feet. Definitely without stepping inside a home and without endangering another person's health. Be distant physically, six feet with mask, hand sanitizer, and so on. But don't be distant socially and emotionally. That's the work of the Levite and the priest. We need to move toward one another. Now, as we begin to wrap up, can I just tell you two beautiful promises the Bible makes when we cross the road in compassion? First, when it, goes to, when it comes to um, going toward someone to help them, we tend to think we're the rescuers, we're the good Samaritans, the heroes rescuing the pitiful. But Hebrews 13, 1 and 2 commands us with this promise. It says, Let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby, this is so powerful, some have entertained angels unawares. And what is an angel? An angel is a messenger of God. 
The writer of Hebrews tells the church to show compassion and hospitality because in doing so, we may be entertaining angels, welcoming a messenger of God into our lives, maybe metaphorically, maybe literally. And how much more likely would we be to cross the road if we knew the ones we were serving were angels or one with a specific word from God for us? Even one step further, Jesus said he would welcome people into his kingdom who fed him, gave him a drink when thirsty, welcomed him, clothed him, visited him when he was sick or when he was in prison. But we, like his audience, will then ask, well, when did we do that, Jesus? When did we come see you? When did we feed you? And Jesus will say, as he did in Matthew 25, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these of my brothers, you did it also to me. When we cross the road in compassion and serve the one robbed and left for dead, we find we were serving Jesus and not just a victim. Let compassion lead to action and know that mercy and action is done to the Lord. And when you do, you will find that God is showing mercy to you and blessing you. Second big picture thing. I said it before, I will say it again. Despite our efforts to typically read ourselves into the story as a Samaritan, theologically speaking, from God's vantage point, we are all actually the ones left on the side of the road and in need of God showing us compassion. We've all felt the emptiness of seeing sin over-promise and then under-deliver, leaving us feeling robbed of something we were promised. We have all felt the shame of spiritual nakedness that comes with being exposed before God and before people in our sin. I never will forget my, my friend Kip, um, who was around 50 at the time. Man, Kip was as tough as nails. Uh, he was weeping one Sunday after church, just tears running down his very tan and masculine, <laughs> gruff face. With his Michigan accent, he told me, he said, I haven't been a good person, and I will do whatever it takes to have peace with God and myself feeling exposed by his sin, but then finding himself covered in grace. We've all felt the loneliness of being disregarded and left for dead by our bad choices. We need a Samaritan rescuer, and the good news is that Jesus is that rescuer. Christian, at salvation, he, left, he felt compassion and he saw us and he moved toward us. He washed us with the wine of his blood and anointed us with the oil of the Holy Spirit clothed us in his righteousness and carried us to the Father's house and invited us in, restoring us to health and liberating us from former threats and former enemies. Jesus is our Samaritan rescuer. And pre-Christian, we don't need you to have it all together. God doesn't need that either, by the way. We don't need you to have it all figured out. Just turn to Jesus as your rescuer and entrust yourself to him. Let me pray for us. Uh, Jesus, thank you that you are the Good Samaritan. You are the one who was not like us, and yet you moved toward us. And we were naked, robbed, uh, and left for dead by sin, and uh, even sometimes emotionally by others, you came toward us. Lord, for ones who are watching who aren't believers, I pray that they would identify with the, the one who's robbed in this story, and that they would turn to you in faith and trust and just ask you to save them. For the rest of us, God, I pray that we would recognize what we've been rescued from. I pray that we would see people feel gut-level compassion and move toward them, even locally with our neighbors, in creative ways in the middle of pandemic. God, help us to live out the gospel, not to be hearers, but doers. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.